today and uh, helping us out on this Lord's Day. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to turn. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to have you to turn to a number of verses today. We'll not have them on the on the screen, so I hope you'll follow along with me. And uh, if you'll find the Gospel of Matthew, okay, we'll begin there in uh, in just a bit, okay. Matthew and chapter 4. title of my message today is this, okay? A lot can happen in a day. A lot can happen in a day. Life, uh, life can be very unpredictable, can it? That's for sure. We never know what a day has in store for us, even this, this very day. And I believe that we would agree that most often we think of that reality in a negative sense. In the sense that uh, tragedies can happen in the course of an ordinary day. Losses can come. Dreams can be snatched away from us in the course of an ordinary day. Those things do happen, absolutely. And uh, I couldn't help but this week reflect, and Kip and I were, I was sharing with her on the way back from the retreat yesterday, about some tragic news, about one event that happened. You probably saw that we're... Uh, two ladies drowned to death as the car that they were in disengaged from the ferry that it was on and plummeted in the water. In, I think it was in Florida. You know, um, doubtless those two ladies got up that day as they had every other day and moved through it with no idea that that would be their last day. The report came that when they were found, uh, they were holding on to one another as they took their last moments in life. Now, just before we move on, if you're here today and you'd say, Tim, you know, I, I'm not ready. If something like that happened to me, I cannot say that I know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. Well, you know, you can, you can get that settled today because there is a Savior that loves you. And it's provided everything that's needed for you to become one of his children. And the Bible reminds us not to boast of a day because we don't know what a day may bring forth. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. So if you're here today and you don't know Christ, would you please just take a moment and think real seriously about where you would be in eternity if your life today was ended. All right. But here's what I'd like for us to do this morning. I want us to make a 180 degree turn in our thinking about these realities of the uncertainty of life. And here's what I mean. I want us to move from a negative consideration of that reality to a positive one. All right, can you make that change now? Okay, change gears with me. I imagine most of us in this auditorium, if not all of us, can recall some unexpected good things that have happened to us in the course of just an ordinary day. I can I think a lot of you can. Maybe all of us can. Just something unexpected. It, was, it was, wasn't predicted it was going to happen. You had no idea. But it was a good thing that took place in your life just in the course of an ordinary day. You had no idea that it was going to come in your direction. Things that changed our lives. Good things that changed our lives. And those days are cherished memories for sure. I've told you about some of mine. Could do so again this morning, but I won't take the time to do so. Days I'll just never forget. Totally caught off guard by something good that transpired in my life. Now, those are cherished memories, but I want to make a statement here now, okay? I believe that today, I really do, I believe that today could be such a day in the life of someone present in this auditorium. Or maybe, some, maybe more than one. Today could be one of the most important days of your life, a day that will change your life forever. And you might think, well, now what, what's, what's so special about today, Tim? It's just like every other day. Yeah, I know, but a lot can happen in a day. A lot can happen in a day. Now, in just a few minutes, we're going to read from Matthew a brief story from the Word of God about some men 
who had some totally unexpected, positive, and exciting changes to take place in their lives as they moved through an ordinary, typical day. We're going to read this story. It's brief, and we're going to kind of ponder on it, park on it, and ponder on it for a few moments, okay? Unexpected, good changes that took place in their life. Now, I'd like to make this statement also before we go any further. I believe that for Tim Coley, okay, I do believe this. I believe that for Tim Coley, and you can say the same thing about yourself, and not only do I believe this, I desire, I, really, I desire to have more of those days in my journey yet to come. I want to have more of those days where the day something happens in the course of that day that's totally unexpected by me, but that is a good thing. It's a positive thing. It's, a, it's something that brings a change to my life. Uh, man, I had the opportunity to just talk with Kevin Garber for a few minutes after the set, one of the sessions. And just rejoicing. And all the glory goes to the Lord. But, I, again, I can't take the time. You just have to take my word for it. But it, this past year, God has, he has done that very thing in my life. He has caught me unawares. And has done some things in my life that have genuinely changed me. They have. They've changed my life. And I was telling Kevin, I said, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. I said, Kevin, you know, it's just good to know that God can still work in my life. (laughs) Because sometimes we go through dry spells and we go through just seasons of monotonous routine. Forgive me for saying that, but that's the truth of it, okay? And we just feel like, well, this is all there is. I've had, I've had the taste of it, and this is the best it gets, okay? But then God comes and kind of surprises us with something that lets us know, oh, no, no, no. There is a God. He is the God, and he's in your life, and he's in this picture, and he's working. That's exciting. I believe that there are those days ahead for Tim Coley by the grace of God, not because of who I am, but by the grace of God. And I desire, I desire more of those days. How about you? Do you have that desire in your heart? Okay, for years I have loved and I have claimed, and I have to be honest with you, I have at times struggled to claim this verse. All right, here it is. I'll quote it to you. You can turn to it some other time if you like. Psalm 31 19. I shared this with our life group just recently. Oh, how great, the psalmist says to God, Oh, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up, past tense, for those that trust in thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. Or excuse me. Oh, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. In other words, the psalmist says, God, you've already laid up good things that we have no idea about. And I don't think he's talking about heaven there. Okay? I think he's talking about this journey here on this side of glory. And you, in your mind, you've already accomplished, you've already wrought some good things that I have no idea that I'm going to experience. I like that thought. I love that truth. You know, it's kind of like this. Not the perfect illustration, but uh, I don't know if Walmart still has uh, a layaway department. I, I guess they do, but I remember years ago, and you know, I think we all basically have an idea of how that functions, right? Uh, let's say, take the example for Christmas time, okay? So parents go in, they find something that they know will bring great joy to their children, and uh, they put that in the layaway department. Let's say in the month of August or the month of September or the month of October. So for all those weeks that are transpiring between then and Christmas, that child has no idea of the joy they're going to have when they get what the parents had already purchased or was purchasing for them. Now, the parents knew about it. And the parents, to be honest with you, they kind of anticipate the moment when that child is going to be able to enjoy what they have put on way away for them. Now, again, not a perfect illustration, but I uh, uh, start to say boys and girls. Okay. Boys and girls, are you here today? Okay. All right. But, folks, I believe that God... And I've experienced this, and some of you have too. I could stand up here today and tell you about some amazing things that I had no idea God would ever do in my life that he's done. I could tell you some amazing things he's given me that I never in my wildest dreams as a young man ever dreamed that he would give me. He knew about them all the time. And I believe he waited with anticipation for the day, just an ordinary day, Just a typical day when he was going to give me those things and when he was going to do those things for me. That's the reason why I say I desire more of them. I want God to be able to work in my life that way. 
Now, let's go to our story. Here it is. It's brief. You've got to be focused. Ready? Here we go. Matthew chapter 4. Got your Bibles? I'm going to read about some men whose lives changed just on an ordinary day. Matthew 4, beginning at verse 18. Matthew 4, 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus, he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, Jesus, he saw two other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he, Jesus, called them, James and John. And verse 22 says, And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, that's, the, that's, the, that's our main text for today. It's very possible for us to read this brief text and miss this simple fact. What happened in these men's lives did so. Think with me, please. It, they, those things happened on a day that started just like every other, other day, every other day had. They got up, went about their work, talked as usual, but then something happened that changed their lives forever. A lot can happen in a day. A lot can happen in a day. Now let me clarify that I think you already know this. This was not the day when they met Christ, when they believed on him. That, that, that's already happened. We could read about it. We won't take the time, but you can find that in John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. So this is not their conversion that we're reading about here, okay? What we see here is what we might refer to as the calling of these men into occupational ministry. I like that phrase. Rick coined that the first time I think I ever heard it. We often, you know, through the years, we've called it full-time ministry. Rick likes the phrase, and I agree with him, occupational ministry, because it's a better description because, you know, every child of God, we're all to be full-time in our Christianity, right? We're all to be full-time. Every child of God is. So we're going to call this, I believe this event is their call from Christ into occupational ministry. Now, you say, Tim, are you saying, are you implying that someone today could be called into occupational ministry just like these men were? Yep. Yep. That's what I'm saying. A lot can happen in a day. Just an ordinary day. Just a typical day. A lot can happen. Now, before you disengage, all right, hope you don't do this. Say, well, why would I disengage? Well, you might because you're thinking there's no way that God would do something like that in my life. Okay? I know he's not going to call me into occupational ministry. Well, first of all, you can't really say that you know he wouldn't. (laughs) I don't believe that. But let me encourage you to stay with me because regardless of whether God calls you into occupational ministry or not, there are some great truths and principles in this story for every child of God. Every one of us that know the Lord is our Savior, there's some great truths and principles here in this, in this story, I believe. Okay? So here's my three points this morning I'd like for you to think with me about from this story. First of all, we're going to consider the person of the call. Secondly, we're going to consider the promise of the call. And then lastly, we're going to consider the price of the call. So the person of the call, the promise of the call, and the price of the call. Now, question, congregation. Answer me if you could. Who is the person of the call? Who? Jesus Christ. Now, that's simple. That's, that's evident. If you still have your Bibles open, let's just look at it for just a moment. Okay? Look concerning Peter and Andrew. Who called them? Look at verse 19. Hmm. Okay? And he. Well, who's he? Jesus Saith unto them, follow who? Me. Follow me. And I am going to do something. No question, the call to Peter and Andrew came from Christ. As a matter of fact, matter of fact, verse 20 kind of confirms it because look at verse 20. And they straightway left their nets and followed 
Who? Who? They straightway left their nets and followed Jesus. Now, again, I know this is simple, but it's important. The person of the call was and it is still Jesus Christ. None other. None other. Look now concerning James and John. As the story continues, Jesus moves on and he comes across two other brothers. Look at verse 21. And going on from thence, he, Jesus, saw two other brethren. Last part of the verse, and he called them. And then verse 22 tells us, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed who? Him. Now, guys, this right here really even ties in with the first song we sang. If we go in Jesus' name, it makes all the difference in the world. Whether we're called into occupational ministry or not, it makes all the difference in the world for whom we do what we do. The person of the call is Jesus Christ. Now, through the years, I've heard comments made sometimes about men in the ministry, and I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I've heard this, and maybe you have too. They say, well, that guy, he's a mama-called preacher. Or he's a daddy-called preacher. He went into the ministry because he had pressure. He was pressured by his mother. He was pressured by his father. Or maybe it was well, even a well-intentioned pastor. And, 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 and I'm sure, I'm sure through the, through the decades of, of ministry here in the States, there have been people who have gone into the ministry, not at the call of Christ, but at the call of some other person. Hey, by the way, I like this. James and John, we've already pointed this out, but I like to think about this. They didn't respond to Peter and Andrew, did they? No, 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 no. Peter and Andrew had already accepted the call. They still responded to Jesus. It wasn't the fact that, okay, we're going to get on this bandwagon too. Okay, no. Jesus called them and they answered to him individually, not to Peter and Andrew. And that's an important thing we could talk about at length, really. You know, I had a very, very influential pastor in my life uh, from the time I was a junior boy until I left to go to college. Very, very influential for a lot of reasons. That was when my family was going through the divorce and my life was in a tailspin as a young 12, 11, 12 year old boy. And they loved on me and made me a part of their family. And I spent time in their home. And one of their sons and I are very close in age. And I was just kind of like a part of the family. So he had a lot of influence on me. I have to confess that. And I will tell you this back in the 60s, late 60s, yep, it was a very popular thing. And it's still happening today. And it's good. Uh, he would, he, every year, I believe it was, every year he'd round up a group of us teenagers, young people, and take us to see Tennessee Temple, all right? And I know he did that uh, to expose us to the school, but to put up, maybe even to plant a desire in our hearts to go there one day. Well, it happened. <laughs> it happened to me. But I want to say something very important right here. I can say today with no hesitation whatsoever that I went into occupational ministry because I, as a young man, sensed the stirring of Christ in my heart to do so. I did not go into occupational ministry because of my pastor. Yes, he was very influential. Yes, he was very intentional in getting us exposed to a Christian college, considering the idea of going into the ministry. But I can tell you with no hesitation, I am in the ministry not because of my pastor. God used him, yes. But I'm in the ministry because Christ called me. He worked in my heart. He put that there. And I know that and I thank the Lord for it. And you know what? Christ is still doing that calling today. Are you ready? And it's happening on ordinary, typical days just like today. Yeah, Christ is still doing that work. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time right here, but notice this, and you've already seen it. Notice briefly that Christ called these men to be fishers of men. Their literal occupation, I believe, their literal occupation changed from being fishers of fish to being fishers of men. It was a literal change of occupation. Telling the good news of Jesus Christ to people everywhere, everywhere. That was the call of God. That was the call of Christ on their lives. Now, 
Hold on for just a moment, okay? So let's stop for just a second. Before we move on, I want to exhort every one of us, every child of God in this room, with this truth, okay? Brother and sister in Christ, okay? You may not have been called into occupational ministry as these men were, but you have been commanded to do the same thing. Every child of God in this room has been commanded by Jesus Christ to tell others about him. Now, it may not be our occupation in the sense of a career, but it ought to occupy us as children of God that we are regularly telling other people about Jesus Christ. Now, we know the command well, Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. The phrase there in the Greek means make disciples. Go everywhere. He, he gave that to the church. Go everywhere and make disciples. Well, what's the first step? Well, I believe the first step of discipleship is coming to know Christ as Savior. Okay? You can't be a disciple if you don't know the Lord. So I believe that's, in, that's implied there. He says, hey, tell people about Jesus Christ, introduce them to the Savior, and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Baptize them, then teach them. And that's the process of growth. God says, this is my plan. Christ says, this is my plan. This is what I want you, brother, sister in Christ, every child of God to be involved in. Now, William Carey, you might know that name. He was a lifelong missionary to India. He said this. Well, this is a powerful quote. You ready? He said, if it be the duty of all men to believe the gospel, then it is the duty of those who are entrusted with the gospel to make it known among all men. Wow. And we, brother and sister Christ, we've been entrusted with the gospel. Now, we had a little discussion in life group this morning, and I've got to tell you, I'm right there with you. I can find a thousand other things to occupy my time and my energies, and they're good things, and neglect what I believe is the basic thing, and that is talking to other people about Jesus Christ. Winning, whatever we want to call it, winning people to Christ. Witnessing, okay? I can find a thousand things. And so often I find myself falling prey to that very habit of not sharing the gospel. So I, I, I'm right there with you. I want this word to come to my heart. I, I, uh, man, sometimes I even slack off and not passing out tracts. And I know, not just taking the opportunity even to give a tract to someone. And, uh, and that can happen. It's so easy. I believe our flesh and the devil just fight us tooth and nail. But now, while we're here just for a second, okay? Thinking about the fact that we may not be called into occupational ministry, but we have been commanded, all of us have been, to be a witness. Hey, think about this. This is neat. Believers in the early church, they knew that they had been, that they had been commanded to be a witness. They knew that. They knew it and they believed it. Every, I, mean, I really do. I see, you see, look at Acts chapter 8. Okay, got your Bibles there? Let's go to Acts chapter 8 real quick. Here is the stoning of Stephen. Okay, and it's a very intense time for the church in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, and uh, let's just jump on verse 1 there, okay, if you would. Here we go. And Saul was consenting unto his death, unto the death of Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Now here's a key phrase. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The church leaders stayed in Jerusalem. But the believers went everywhere. Because the persecution was so intense. Now, with that in mind, look at verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Hey, we got to get out of Jerusalem. Come on, Dad. Okay, come on, kids. All right, Mom, come on. Okay, we got to leave. It's getting too, it's, the persecution is too bad. We're going we're gonna to lose our lives. Let's move somewhere else. Let's get out of here. Guess what they did when they got where they were going? They started telling people about Jesus Christ. Now, this is interesting. Verse 4 says, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. You say, well, wait, 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 Tim, okay? That word preaching there, I've never been called to preach. It's very interesting. Barnes, in his commentary, tells us this. In the Greek language, this is not the usual word rendered preach, but it means simply announcing the good news of salvation. We call it witnessing. And he goes on and says this, they communicated to their fellow men in conversation. So whatever city they ended up moving to to get out of Jerusalem, they just start talking to people about Jesus Christ. 
Man, that's convicting, isn't it? That's convicting to think about how often, just in the course of conversation with people in my neighborhood, people that I regularly have contact with in businesses, how often is my conversation ever occupied with telling them about Jesus Christ? It's very convicting. The song this morning, Have I Done My Best for Jesus, it is convicting. But the early church, they, they believed, they knew that the command to witness, to give the gospel, was for every child of God. Now, let me add this. And you might, you know, you might have a different opinion on this. Uh, but I, I do not find anywhere in the Word of God the idea that personal evangelism, witnessing, soul winning, or whatever we might call it, I do not find in the Bible that it is a gift that only some believers have. I don't think it's a gift. I think according to the Word of God, it's a divine enablement. Are you still with me? Sharing the gospel is not a gift. It's a divine enablement. Where do you get that, Tim? Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be what? Ye shall be what? Witnesses unto me. Jesus said, I will enable you to be what I have commanded you to be. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. So as I conclude this first point about the person of the call, I'd like to say this. Whether we've been called into occupational ministry or have simply been commanded to tell others the good news, which all of us have, the source, the source of both the call and the command is Christ. Brother, sister in Christ, the more I follow Christ, the more I follow Christ, this is true for Tim Cole, the more I will be involved in personal evangelism. I don't think it's just for people he calls into occupational ministry. I think it's true for every child of God. If I'm really serious about following Christ, that's going to be on my heart more and more and more the more I follow him. I do believe that. So whether we're called into occupational ministry or we just know that we've been commanded to be a witness, the person that that comes from, the call and the command, both come from Jesus Christ. Oh, boy. That means that my pastor doesn't browbeat me into being a witness. It's something that comes out of my walk with Christ that I have a desire to. Wow. Now, today could be a life-changing day for someone here. And I'm not thinking about just being called into occupational ministry. It could be a child of God who surrenders in obedience to the command to share the gospel. That, that could be, a, that could be and, and, and all these changes, folks, that I'm talking about this morning, okay, are you with me still? All these changes I'm talking about, they don't have to be you know, monumental, major, big changes. They can be just little things that are steps of obedience in faith to what Christ is stirring us to do. And those are exciting too. Have you had that experience where you took a step of obedience to Christ and you could sense his pleasure and his blessing on your life because you walked in obedience to him? That's a neat experience, folks. That, that's, a, that's a great thing too. And it can happen on an ordinary day, just like today. <laughs> okay? It can. He's still calling and his command is still going forth to his children. And there are those who are responding to that call and they're surrendering to obey his command on ordinary days just like this one. Praise the Lord for uh, it stirs my heart when I hear folks in our church sharing about someone that they are burdened for that's unsaved on the job where they work and they're witnessing to them and they're trying to bring them to Christ and they're, they're inviting them to church. Uh, that, that's just that's a great testimony. It's a great challenge. It's a great example for me. The person of the call, that's the first point. Here's the second point, okay? The promise of the call, and I like this, okay? I hope, you'll st I hope you're still with me. The promise of the call. Well, what is the promise? Back to Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus said this, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I love these next few words, and I will make you. I will make you. Another passage says, I will make you to become fishers of men. Now, all through the Word of God, we find those whom God called to do a task offering excuses as to why they couldn't do it. Now, we know those stories. One of the most famous ones, probably, is the story of Moses. Right? 
All right, Moses, come. I'm going to send you to set my people free. <laughs> and Moses wasn't real excited about that, was he? What did he say? One of the first things he said was, Lord, who am, who am I? Who am I to do something like that? And then he said, uh, Lord, uh, oh, my Lord, he says. And that's the actual words from the King James. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Man, he was just full of excuses why he could not do what God was calling him to do. That's not unusual. Anybody here could ever give a testimony, could give a testimony of some time in your life when God called you to do something and you offered up a bunch of excuses? <laughs> hey, I can't. I'm, I'm too scared, man. I'm too nervous. I could never do that. That's not uncommon. But here's something else that's not uncommon. All through the Word of God, we find God giving the same answer to those He calls and those to whom He commands to do certain things. You know what the answer is, basically? Here it is. It's, what, it's like what He said to Moses in chapter 4 of Exodus, verse 12. He said to Moses, Now, therefore, go, and I will be with thy mouth, and I will teach thee what thou shalt say. <laughs> hey, God didn't try to give Moses a pep talk. Now, Moses, I know you got it in you, buddy. You can do this. I believe in you. You can do this, okay? You can make it. Others have made it. You can do this. Just, just grit. It's, it just takes a hard determination of your will. You can do. No, God did not approach Moses' his excuses that way, did he? God made a statement. He said, Moses, I will be with you. That's the most important thing. And I'll teach you. That's kind of like what Jesus said to these men. Follow me, and I'll make you what you need to be. Follow me, and I'll make you what you need to be. Now, in other words, what was God saying to Moses? Moses, it's not about you. It's not about you and what you can or cannot do. Moses, it's about me. It's about me. I believe we could say it this way. The point I'm trying to make today, whenever God calls or commands he always equips. Another way, pastor has put it this way one time, and I love this. Simple statement, so doggone powerful. Rick has said this, behind all of God's commands is omnipotence. Now you think about that. Behind every command, and I'll include the word call, Behind every call or command that God brings into our lives or gives to us, there is omnipotence behind that call. His power is not about us. Another way we could say it is this. God's calling and His commands are never about us and our abilities. They are about Him and His abilities. And I like this. The only ability, are you with me? The only ability God's looking for is availability. That's the only ability God's looking for. A willing heart. An obedient, a surrendered heart. Years ago, I've told you this before, dear dear friend of mine that loves the Lord, we were just chatting. He made this comment about the matter of witnessing. He said, Tim, I, I, I will never be able to sit down and just share the gospel one-on-one -on -one with somebody. I, I'll never do that. I'll never be able to do that. Well, I appreciated his transparency with the struggle that he's having. But you know, biblically, he's not right. Biblically, God always enables us to do that which he commands us to do. Behind all of God's commands is omnipotence. Rick has told us so many times through the years, God is attracted to weakness. <laughs> he stiff arms the proud. He stiff arms those who say, well, I'm qualified. Yeah, I, I could do that. I'm, I'm gifted enough. I could do that. I could do that, yeah. Man, being gifted has got some real snares to it, doesn't it? It does. Being gifted has some real snares to it. It can make us not dependent upon the Lord, but upon ourselves. I love these truths. Listen to me, would you please now, as I read some verses to you from the Word of God. I hope these will encourage you. Because you know what? There could be a brother or sister in Christ in this auditorium today who God is putting his finger on and he is calling you into occupational ministry. Yeah. I mean, it's happening on just ordinary days like today. It is. God's still calling. Or there might be a brother or sister in Christ 
who's just struggling with being obedient in some area of your life, and we're talking particularly about the matter of witnessing, of sharing our faith. And, and you know what? This day to day, this day to day could be a day that your life changes. Oh, not that all of a sudden you just become this bold, you know, just tremendous witness for Christ. But no, you just start, ta- you just start taking those baby steps and saying, hey, I, I can pass out tracts. I, I can't talk to that person that I do business with, I've done with for years, and they know me, and I know, I, I can. I, Lord, you can help me do that. You can do that through me. So th- th- those types of things might happen. So if that's where you're at, maybe you're not, but if you are, I want to give you some encouragement, okay? Listen to this good truth from the Word of God. Here we go. You might want to write these references down, look at them, look at them some other time. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the first part of verse 6. Paul says this, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Man, you can't get any gooder than that. I've lost a lot of you, haven't I, this morning? You can't get any gooder than that. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. That's Paul's testimony. That's the great apostle Paul. It's not all about me, brothers and sisters of Christ, Paul's saying. It's all about the God who called me. I love this. I think pastors shared this just recently. Here's another passage you might write down. I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught, Things that are. (laughs) Man, God goes looking in a whole different way than what we most of the time do. God says, I'm looking for people who are available, not for people who are qualified. I'll do the qualifying. I'll do the equipping. I just need someone that's available. Wow, I love this. Paul said this statement about his own ministry. Whereof I was made a minister... Ready? Listen to this. According to the gift of the grace of God, given unto me by the effectual working of His power. His power. And then I also love this verse. Now, this is in the context of giving. So I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm going to pull this out of its context, but I think it's a legitimate application to what we're talking about today. Any area of ministry. Well, I tell you what, you need to look at this. Rather than just listen to me quote it, won't you eyeball it with me, okay? Ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Go there with me if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. I said a minute ago it couldn't get any gooder. I think this one's a little bit gooder. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8. Man, you got to listen to this. you got to see this. And God is able. Wow, we could stop right there. Some of you sitting this morning think, well, it'll never happen in my life. I'll never be called into occupational ministry. I'll never be able to be a witness for Christ. Well, God's able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now, what do you say to that? Can I get an Amen. Can I get an old me? Can I get a... I'm not listening, Brother Tim. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, John, for your honesty. Appreciate that. (laughs) Hey, guys, here's the bottom line. This thing about being called into occupational ministry or being obedient to the commands of Christ, it's not about us. It's all about him. And the quicker we learn that, the better off we're going to be. Because he will do through us that which we cannot do and will not do on our own. Anybody here can give testimony to that? Anybody here ever experienced Christ doing something through you that you know, humanly speaking, you could not have done on your own? Yep. Yep. You know, sometimes we say things like this. Oh, I, I could never be like so-and-so. They're, they're just so good at teaching. They're, they're so good at singing. They're, they're so good at sharing the gospel. But you know what, folks? The truth of the matter is this. 
that they are people just like you who have made themselves available to God and have trusted Him for His enabling grace. That's the only difference. That's the only difference. The same God that is enabling them wants to enable you and I. If we will be available to Him. So today we've seen the person of the call. Secondly, the promise of the call or of the command, either one. And then here's the last, and that is the price of the call or the command. Now, if you've got your Bibles there, let's go back to Matthew 4, and we're going to be finished here in just a moment, okay? Matthew 4. And we looked at that little story. Let's look at it again. The price of the call concerning Peter and Andrew, our text tells us that when Christ called them, Verse 20, look at it again. Verse 20. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Now we understand, folks, that those nets represented their occupation. That was how they made their living. That was what they did. That's who they were. They were fishers of fish. But when the call of Christ came, they forsook those nets. They straightway left their nets and followed him. Now, concerning James and John, our text tells us when Christ called them, verse 22, what does it say there? And they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. Now, I want to be very careful, and may the Lord guide all of us as we consider this truth right here. Okay? You know, folks, there's no way around this. I don't believe so. If we're going to obey the call of God, and the commands of Christ, there will be a price to pay. Jesus made this truth very clear to the people to whom he ministered. He made it very clear, if you follow me, it will cost you. There will be a price, I think, first of all, now folks, listen very carefully again, I don't want to be misunderstood. And this is something that you have to get along with the Lord And wrestle with him over. I do believe this sometimes. Absolutely. But there will be a price to pay in our relationships. Whether it be family or friends. There will be a price to pay if we're going to follow Christ. In our relationships. Luke 14, 26. And this is Jesus. He said this. If any man come to me. And hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's mighty strong words there. That's mighty strong language. That's the words of Christ. And I know we're talking about the fact that the word hate there is a a word of comparison, that my love for Christ, okay, ought to be so strong that it makes every other relationship Just fade in the sunset. But that is exactly what Christ said. There will be a price to pay in our relationships. Number two, I think we see in the story, there will be a price to pay in our possessions. They left their nets. They left the ship. Jesus again said in Luke 14, 33, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Oh, come on, are you serious? Okay. Oh, no, wait, no, wait, Lord, okay. Did you really mean that, Lord? I mean, do possessions have to be way, way, way down the list in my life? Yeah, yeah, he says, yeah. If you're going to be my disciple, he says, yep. Whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now, here's a statement I'd like to make. I hope you'll listen very carefully, okay? Relationships with family and friends. And possessions, material possessions, we know this. They are good gifts from God. Amen? Are you with me? Yes, relationships with family and friends and possessions. Matter of fact, Paul in one of his epistles said, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. God takes pleasure, okay, in our joy. Just as long as we we don't substitute the gift for the giver, right? Yeah. So, statement again. Relationships and possessions are good gifts from God. The Word of God does make that clear. Yet Christ said 
that they cannot take priority over following the Lord. When it comes to that time when you're before the Lord saying, Oh God, I want your wisdom as to what decision to make in this circumstance in my life. You've got to come to the place where you have peace before God in light of his word. And you can say, Lord, I am honoring you. I'm putting you first in this decision. When it comes to any possession that I have, when it comes to any relationship that I have, I have to lay that at the feet of the Lord and say, Lord, your will be done. Now, again, we don't have near the time. We could talk all day about this, couldn't we? Yeah, we could. I could tell you some tragic stories from my own life. Uh, Wow. Bad, bad memories that I have of some wrong choices that I made in this area. But having said that, having said that, I see the word of God very clearly says, if I'm going to follow Christ, there's going to be a price to pay. There will be a price to pay. You know, um, let me take just a little bit of a different track here. I guess you call it, might call it a rabbit trail. Okay. I saw a billboard coming out of Sevierville, Pigeon Forge yesterday, that really just kind of caught my eye, a huge billboard about a church there in the area. And I, I'm not going to call the name of the church because I'm not being critical of the church. I don't mean to communicate this at all. But when I saw it and read their, their logo, their slogan, I told Kip, I said, look at that. Now, here's what I think that sign is saying. We say, well, Tim, what did the sign say? It said something like this. It said, life is about options. At our church, we have five different services you can attend. You can choose. You have options. Now, say, Brother Tim, is that wrong? Were you, were you troubled because that's wrong? No. I mean, you know, there was a time here in our church, right, where we were having two services every Sunday morning. We did, did that for quite a long time because of the crowds that we were, we were having. So, no, that's not the point, okay? Here, here's where I'm going with this, okay? I don't think options in and of themselves are wrong. But if we're not careful, are you with me now? If we're not careful, options can replace obedience. Does that make sense? (laughs) Okay, how about it? Options can replace. And you know what, folks, you think about it. We can call it other things, I realize. But I think in our society here in the United States of America, I believe we have option overload. We've got too many options. And it's changing the way we do life. It's changing our whole attitude, our whole philosophy of life. You say, well, what do you mean, Brother Tim? Well, and again, I know we can call it other things, but I think just like in marriage, I want the option, <laughs> right? I want the option of being able to step out of this relationship, so therefore, I'm not going to get married to you. We're just going to live together. Or I want the option of making a change. Yes, we're married, but I'm going to change that. I'll tell you another area of our society that's been invaded by option overload, and that is on the workplace. Just this week, a man that works here in our city told me, he said, Tim, he said, it's unbelievable. We cannot get people to come and stay for anything. He said, there are people that will come in here, and they'll work long enough to go through one pay cycle. They'll come in and get their check, and then they're gone. Now, I know there's other ways we can characterize that, other things we can say about it, but I look at it as like, they got too many options, man, <laughs> okay? If they've got an option where they can just show up and work one pay period, they've got too many options, okay? That's, that's, that's what I think, all right? And if we're not careful, folks, okay, again, that same mentality, we can start embracing that when it comes to church. Nothing wrong with having options, but when options replace obedience. Uh, you, you say, well, that's kind of a tough thing. Yeah, I know, but I think it's something we need to think about. That we don't allow options to become disobedience. Okay? Uh, I remember one time at our man-to-man meeting at our house years ago. Years ago. And it was very, you know, and boy, the Lord's just done some neat things in those meetings. And I've heard men, wow, just share their hearts, pour their hearts out. We've had some disagreements. Uh, in our discussions about what God's doing and his word and what have you, but that's okay. And, uh, but one night, I remember there was probably about eight or ten men there, and the subject of church attendance came up. And I think, if I remember right, the comment was made, well, you can't find in the Bible where they had Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You just can't find that. 
Therefore, I don't believe it's a necessity. That, that was the viewpoint of one person, okay? And I was just listening. I was watching the dynamic take place between these men, you know, to see what they were going to say. And one brother, not pharisaical at all, just, just being genuine, just being genuine, he spoke up and he said, well, guys, he said, you know, I know it's not in the Bible. But he said, just in, for my own sake, he said, I need to be there as much as I can. I need that in my life. There's a spiritual need in my life. I have a hunger for that. So it's not a matter of three times a week. He said, I, it's not a matter of me being legalistic and conforming to what the church expects. He says, I, I just want to be there. Um, and again, this is a matter that you take before the Lord and say, Lord, okay, what's, what's your pleasure? What's your desire? Uh, I never will forget. You know, y'all might remember the transient man, Roger, that came to church here for a good long time. And he made a profession of faith. And Roger and I became close friends. And I loved that. I loved that brother. He helped me on a couple projects around the house. We made a trip or two together just to pick up some stuff and come back to Huntsville. And um, he had a rough past. He did. He had a very rough past. And some of you remember he actually passed away here on the church property a number of years ago. He was showering, getting ready for services over in the gym, and had a heart attack, I believe it was. And that was a, that was a tough thing. Wow. But Roger, he was, a, he, was a, he was a blessing to me in ways he never knew. I remember not too long before he died, he called me one morning on his cell phone on his way to work. He was working with Brother Don at that time. And uh, he said, Tim, he said, I'm just calling you because he said, I'm just happy in the Lord today. He said, the Lord's working in my life. And he said, I'm just so thrilled about it. And man, that was a blessing to get a phone call like that, you know, from a transient guy that's just kind of making his way through life. But I remember one time we were having a revival, and Roger wasn't really much of a church guy. You know, he hadn't been in church much in his life prior to this time. And so in our conversation, this was like on Wednesday, I believe it was, and he said, man, Tim, he said, I'm looking forward to the rest of this week of, this week of revival meetings. And I said, oh, Roger, I said, hey, I said, tonight's the last night. I said, we just went Sunday through Wednesday. And Roger was so disappointed. And he said, What? We're not having, we're not going through the rest of the week. And he made the statement like something like this. He said, Tim, I need, I need those meetings. Wow. That spoke to my heart. That dear man wanted to be here because he knew he had a need. You see, folks, if we're not careful, options can lead us into not being obedient. We need to be careful. We've got to be careful. Right? We just got to pray about it. We got to go before the Lord. Say, Lord, what would you have me do? So, first of all, the person of the call or the command. Secondly, the promise of the command or the call. I will make you. I'll work. I'll do it through you. I'll do. It. And then, lastly, all right, that challenge, that truth. Okay, I will make you what you need to be. I'll send you forth. I'll do the work. Person, help me out here. The promise and the price. The price. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you.